and welcome to this evening's Resistance TV. Uh, it's good to be back. I've had major technical problems, which is why I've been absent for, for some time. And uh, thank you very much to, to Lizzie and to Sean for holding the fort in the meantime. I'm very pleased to say that we've got the former Assistant General Secretary of the RNT with us this evening to talk about next week's uh, national rail strike. And uh, many people, I'm sure, will know Steve Headley by reputation. He's a solid comrade, a great trade unionist, somebody who uh, leads uh, from the front. And uh, he's here this evening to, to talk about the strike, the rationale behind it, the tactics that will be deployed. Uh, and then we're going to do hopefully a wider discussion about the importance of effective trade unions. And I think as far as I'm concerned, anyway, and be interested to get Steve's thoughts, I'm sure he probably agree with this, that uh, the RNT is now the kind of brigade of guards, really, of the, of the Labour movement. And, uh, you know, we had some great trade union leaders in the past and um, very strong trade unions who, who, who really kind of fought for their members and, uh, and took on the government and, uh, and took on their employers with some success in terms of ensuring that their members got... Uh, decent and uh, and fair remuneration and of course uh, we know what happened to the national union of mine workers after the uh, great strike in 1984 and 85 and that was a, a real kind of watershed moment but i think the rmt have sort of you know picked up the cudgels really and have uh, uh, have led the charge and i would love to see other trade unions following in the in the footsteps of the uh, rmt because i think the RMT members are among the best paid working class occupations in the country, if not the best, actually. And that's because they've got an effective trade union who is prepared to actually you know, fight the case for their members. And, and obviously, they've got the strike coming up next week. And so let me introduce uh, Steve uh, to tonight's uh, discussion. And Steve, perhaps you could just uh, say a little bit about you know, what's the genesis of this uh, strike. and. Um, why has it come to this? And, uh, you know, maybe say a little bit about the intransigence of the employers, which has resulted in uh, a planned uh, three separate day strikes next week. Okay, so the first point to make is that all during the pandemic, the, the train operating companies have been bailed out by the governments and they've been given around 20 billion pounds and over 20% of that has gone straight into the pockets of their shareholders who have been sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. Our members, meanwhile, have a, this is the year three of a three-year pay freeze. Uh, the people that were clapped on the on a Thursday night or, or Wednesday, I can't remember, on the orders of government were all out there clapping like seals. Uh, well done with the nurses and the other essential workers. Of course, people can't live on claps. And... People need a pay raise. You know, we all know inflation is going through the roof, gas, electric, fuel, uh, massively, you know, going up over 50% in some cases, and it hasn't stopped yet. And rather than getting around the table and sorting out a pay raise for rail workers, and we would say the whole working class needs a pay raise, not just us. Rather than doing that, the government seems intent on having its Margaret Thatcher moment where they took on the minor strike in Arthur Scargill. They want a bit of red meat for the Tory voters, just like this nonsense in Rwanda, half a million pounds for a plane that didn't fly. Uh, they know it's nonsense, but they, they're going to do it. They try to shore up their support with the uh, gammons and the Daily Mail readers and people like that. So they want they want to fight with the unions. They can well yeah. afford to give people a pay raise to keep place 
pace with inflation, they need to, they need to because people need to pay their bills and eat. So that's where well, we are. Uh, absolutely, because there's a lot of propaganda, Steve, and, and I've seen your excellent uh, media performances uh, recently, where you've uh, very effectively rebutted some of the nonsense that the uh, you know corporate media hacks have been uh, putting uh, to you. But one of the things that they're saying is, well, you know, rail workers are relatively well paid already. Already, aren't you? just being selfish and greedy. I mean, just for our viewers who maybe haven't seen you on uh, some of the mainstream media channels where you've uh, very effectively rebutted that, just say you know, what, what, why that sort of proposition is nonsense. Well, look, we've had a, a massive redistribution of wealth, not in a Marxist sense where it's from the rich to the poor, but from the poor to the rich in this country. We've had a proliferation of billionaires and trillionaires during the pandemic. We've had companies uh, like the gas and oil companies, energy companies, making money hand over fist, record profits. Uh, we've had billions of billions of pounds sent on a fratricidal war in the Ukraine, sending people weapons to kill each other. I've already mentioned we've had the train operating companies bailed out, even when new trains were running, 20 billion pounds. You know, 20% uh, of that straight into the coffers of the shareholders. And then they're trying to say that essential workers can't have a pay rise. We've got to suffer the consequences of this, this uh, inflation where people's wages, people have lost about 25% um, of their wages in some cases in real terms over the, the, the three years that they've had this, this pay freeze. And we're just not having it. And uh, to be honest, every union in the country, uh, if any trade union's worth its salt, then at least fights to keep, fights like hell to keep, the wages and conditions of their members, at least in part with inflation. Otherwise, we've all had a pay cut we're all paying for these massive profits and these billionaires and trillionaires. And people will go, well, you're a Marxist. In my case, they're right. I am a Marxist. I'm a pro Marxist. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I'm a yeah, pro Marxist. Indeed. I want to see indeed. a society where we have socialism, where we have the people who actually make the wealth um, having kept that wealth and not having them robbed of them by an ever no, decreasing percentage of the population, the trillionaires out there. So that, that, uh, that to me is the argument. It's, we, of course, we want everybody else to have a pay rise as well. It's, I want the whole working class to have a pay rise. I want the whole working class on 50 grand a year, because I think that should be the minimum wage, especially if you're living around London or the South Oh, East. yeah. Well, even you know, 50,000 um, pounds is actually. Yeah, exactly. So uh, people who own train drivers on 50,000 pounds, well, yeah, so they should be. They should be on more. Because we have people out there doing nothing productive at all, sitting at home and collecting their uh, dividends, who, who are getting millions of points a year. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this stuff about, you know, oh, yeah, you're a Marxist, and, and you'll say, you know, you, you kind of come back to us and say, well, yeah, I'm a proud Marxist, you know. And I think that's absolutely the right way to respond to that sort of nonsense. I mean, they've, they've tried to, I mean, over the years, I mean, try to turn the term Marxist into an insult, as it were. But, you know, there's lots, there's millions probably of secret Marxists around the country. You've probably seen the Giles Brandreth um, uh, video that he did for, I think it was the Daily Politics or something, not long after Jeremy Corbyn had got elected and he went round uh, the capital of the home counties looking for secret socialists and stopping people in, in, in the street, uh, you know, Colonel Blimps and this type of you know stereotypical character and they were all agreeing with oh yeah we should bring the railways back to public ownership we should scrap tuition fees you know we should kick the privateers out of the national health service etc and so it went on you know regulate regulate uh, uh, rents to stop profiteering uh, 
uh, uh, landlords. And um, I don't know if you saw the video, but it's quite funny. If people haven't seen it, I recommend that they uh, Google it and watch it because it's quite funny. Because he would then say, we well, almost be a secret uh, socialist, uh, madam or, or, or sir. And he'd, he'd turn his clipboard around, there'd be a big picture of Jeremy Corbyn on it. And, Many of the people. Well, let, let to be fair, Chris, there's a, there's a difference. There's a difference, right? There's welfare capitalists and there's people who want the reform of capitalism. Yes, yes. And I yes. think those people would probably fall under that category. I'm not. I, probably, I don't want yeah. the reform of capitalism. I want the supersession of capitalism with a socialist mm -hmm. form of society, where working class people whose labour creates the wealth in society enjoy the fruits of that labour, and it doesn't mm -hmm. go to a small parasitic elite. So that, that's what makes me a Marxist. Not well, I mean, of course, that used to be clause four of the Labour Party uh, constitution, yeah, wasn't it? Course, yeah. You know, You're uh, absolutely uh, right. Uh, it did. It did. Uh, and then that was that was kicked out under uh, Tony uh, Blair. Yeah. But just so, 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 to so, the... suppose you're right. You, you wouldn't have to be a Marxist. You would have to just be a, a democratic socialist. Yeah, <laughs> well, all those yeah. views. Yeah, 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 ridiculous. But um, yeah. but just going back to the railway companies, and, and you've sort of touched on it a bit uh, already, uh, Steve. But uh, I mean, since privatisation, um, and you know, you've talked about the huge profits and so on. And mm. I think the key thing, though, for me is the the amount that's gone to shareholders in, in dividends. And, and yep. obviously, dividend payments wouldn't be necessary if it was in public ownership. But I don't yeah. know if you've got a kind of broad brush figure for the kind of dividends that have been paid out since privatization, what, about 20 odd uh, years ago now? Right. It's, it? got, I mean, it's, it's got it, to be, it's got it's to be hundreds of billions. It's got, I mean, got to be yeah. hundreds of billions. Um, so so these, these people, and you know, they, they, they Obviously, the, the government have come to the conclusion because they're not completely stupid that um, a a nationalised system, not the sort of nationalisation that we want, actually, in workers' control and democratic control of travelling groups and communities, but even going back to the old British Red type, type nationalisation, would be nearly um, half as cheap as the what they've got at the minute because all these middlemen, middlewomen, all they are sitting, taking percentages out, billions of pounds every year. Um, you know, in the straight today, straight to people who sit at home picking up dividends, picking up mm -hmm. the shareholders. So even the government and their surveys and the surveys they've done have said that uh, nationalisation would be a far cheaper option. But it's an ideological question. How can they admit after, hmm, what, 26, 27 years now of privatisation that they got it all wrong? You know, how can they admit it? And uh, the Tories certainly wouldn't do it. The Blairites wouldn't do it. I mean, the, the Blairites tried to, uh, well, they did. Um, the Blairites did privatise part of London Underground Engineering, which yeah, I was working for at the time, which went yeah. bust, leaving another 20 billion worth of debt, you know. So mm. um, I, I kind of think, you know, the history is kind of circular. If you look at a ragged choice of philanthropist, yeah. sometimes even Tory governments will nationalise things. When they've just gone yeah. on their backside and all the money spent, they then fatten them up with the taxpayers' yeah. money. Then they privatise it and let their mates ruin it all over again. And I think that's what happens yeah. sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a classic case in point, uh, uh, Steve, was uh, in my hometown of, of Derby back in 1971, Rolls-Royce, massive employer in the city at the time, still is the biggest employer, but a fraction <laughs> of the size that it used to be, uh, went bust. And it was Ted Heath's government that, that nationalised it. Exactly. But then yeah. when Thatcher came in, what would be, what, about 15 years uh, later, it was, like you say, fattened up and then flogged off. Yeah. You know, so, so they absolutely do that, you know, uh, to, to enrich their party donors. Yes, happens. exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. But Steve, just into, I mean, again, another 
point which you often see in you know in the in the sort of corporate media is oh you know the country can't can't afford uh, a pay rise and so on. I mean, again, that's nonsense. I know that, but I mean, again, how, how would you sort of you know respond uh, uh, to that point about not just in terms of the rail workers, but I mean your general point about the fact that you know working people up and down the country need deserve a pay rise, and you get these people saying, well, they can't afford the country can't afford it. I know it's nonsense, but how do you respond to that? There's a blank check for weapons for the Ukraine. I mean, yeah. look, I, I've got every sympathy for uh, people under attack, people in warfare. But the way they solve warfare is they have a negotiated peace settlement, not they send ever-increasing amounts of weapons mm -hmm. to people to kill each other. Uh, right. This, These flights, the Rwanda, another expensive, yeah. absolute, you know, Trojan sort of white elephant uh, that the, the Tories have brought in, they squander money. Remember the 20 billion that they squandered on PPE that no yeah. one could use. We have no, this inefficiency, uh, this capitalist inefficiency all the time with the vast majority of people getting poorer and poorer yeah. and a small parasitic elite becoming ever more enriched. And yeah. we've got to change that model of society. That's, that's the argument, quite simply. We've got to stop the redistribution, the Robin Hood in reverse, yeah. if you like, of robbing the poor to give the rich. Well, what are people meant to do? I live in Newham, Chris, mm. right? And mm. it breaks my heart, right? I'm, I'm not an overly sentimental guy. But we have down here queues nearly a mile long for food banks sometimes, yeah. nearly a mile long. And most it's of these people right, are going to work. They're working in some capacity, yeah. in some precarious yeah. employment. Some of them even in full-time employment. And they can't make ends meet. They pay the rent, heat the house, and feed their children. Now, that's the sort of society that we're, we're in at the minute. That's the way Britain's headed, the American-type society where people have to live in trailer parks and people can't afford a house and they certainly can't afford to school their children properly. And they have no, they have no uh, in old age, they, they've got no decent pension. And that's what this government wants. And they'll yeah. squeeze every penny out of us if we let them to make their friends rich. And we can't have it. We can't have it. And, you know, if that makes me unpopular saying that, I'm prepared to be unpopular because as Tony Benn said, a signpost is a signpost. It points yeah. in the same direction. And, mm. you know, people might follow it eventually and get to the right place. But if, mm. if we're all just weather veins like Keir Stammer, and I, I saw that, I'm not even going to say the word, but I saw him trying to uh, make, make fun of Jeremy Corbyn today. Mm. Uh, and it was just disgusting, you know, this absolute imbecile stammer. Mm. And you know what? Uh, Boris Johnson, for, for all that, I don't like Boris Johnson. Johnson turned around and went, well, you voted for him. Here, you try to get him elected. Yeah, Whoever, yeah. I don't know, but that's the sort of imbeciles that are leading the Labour Party at the minute. Yeah. And we need, uh, an, yeah. we need an alternative. We've got to well, tell people it is. Well, I, you know, I'm totally with you on that. And in fact, before um, we, I... Uh, yeah, sort of logged on for this uh, discussion this evening. I was at a meeting of the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition, and that is trying to bring together, you know, different uh, different groupings and different political uh, parties. Uh, because I think you know we do need to collaborate, and that's one of the things that we've always said in in, in Resist, and you know, members have voted to uh, uh, register as a political party, and um, you wouldn't know, get under bed with a socialist party. Some of their members are scabbing. Well, I know what you're saying, but but I do think the general point, though, I mean, notwithstanding some of the actions of certain individuals, 
um, because you can't necessarily always legislate for the actions of, you know, of every single uh, member of a particular organization. But the general points I'm making is, is, is really crucial, in my opinion, anyway, to, and I think, the, you know, the, the position of, of resist and, uh, and the new political party that we are uh, hoping to get approval from the Electoral Commission to, uh, um, you know, begin campaigning, is that we need to actually collaborate across the, across the left if we're going to have any chance of, of prospering. But the other point I just wanted to just make, today, just, just, just in terms of you're yeah, talking about Tony Benn, and, okay. and weather vanes. I, I prefer to refer to them as weather cocks, right. actually, myself. But but he also made a point, didn't he? He said the reason why they call us names is they dare not face our arguments. And I think that's you know one of the things that uh, you know we need to 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 keep in mind. Sorry, Steve, you were just trying to come back in. I think. Yeah, I was saying if you collaborate with scabs, it's going to be strangled at birth. The the Socialist Party and people like that are showing their true face. They're putting their careers and their party before the needs of the working class. And they're working across the picket line outside my head office, my unity house head office, everything. So, Chris, I've got the greatest respect for you. You're a man that put principle uh, before his career. But be careful with these people because they're not all like you. And I've learned that the hard way. Oh, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But, uh, you know, I'm of the view that, you know, I'll, I'll try and talk to people and try and win people around. And I think it's key that we try and, as I say, build, build that collaboration and, and raise political consciousness. And they're not just with the politicos. I mean, the key thing is really is reaching out and, uh, and mobilising working class uh, communities, uh, you know, up and down the the country, who have who've kind of tuned out of of the kind of mainstream politics, because it's all just bloody ridiculous parliamentary ball games. And you know, we work with the Workers Party as well. We've met with uh, the Socialist Labour Party with Arthur Scargill uh, is the is the leader of, and and so on. So, you yeah. know, we we want to kind of try try and build that broad broad alliance. I just want to just come back onto the onto the railways if I can, though, uh, uh, Steve. And just in terms of the the situation in this country compared to Europe. Just just give us a flavour of the way in which the railways are organised in Europe compared to the way they're organised here. Well, by, by and large in Europe, we still have nationalised um, railways, France, Spain, Italy. Uh, but I have to say that European Union legislation is going to try to, to bring in uh, the worst possible practice, which is Britain, open it up to the market. Yeah. And uh, that's in the, in the fourth rail bill. Um, but I have to say as well that if you go to Europe, you will get on a fantastic service. It'll be clean. It'll be probably on time. And it'll be very, very cheap, a fraction of the price that you've got in Britain. I mean, you can travel, you, you could travel around Germany on any high-speed trains for the equivalent of about 50 quid a month. You know, it's, it's anywhere in Germany, you know, uh, fantastic. France is the same. Italy's the same. Um, we've got... Privatisation creeping in because that's European Union legislation. But by and large, they, they, they understand that the transport industry and the railway industry in particular are absolutely integral to the infrastructure of the, the country. They need to get people around. They need to get people around for commerce, for leisure, for other activities that people uh, spend money on. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what they do. They, they understand that they need to be subsidised by the government. In this country, we've got a subsidy going on, but it's a subsidy to the privateers, the, the shareholders. I, I don't know why they just don't cut off the cut out the middleman, just give their friends a load of money, and uh, then subsidise the rest in the railway. You know, it would make more sense economically and I think strategically. Really, of course, yeah. they can't do it legally, but um, that's that's what we that 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 would be. I think a, probably a more efficient system. Just give their mates a bum. 
yeah. and, and giving me with funding the railway and, and nationalising the railway. The yeah, city race yeah. London, uh, transport for London, we have more and more cuts being foisted upon transport for London. Not a friend, not a fan of his, but City Cam is the mayor of London. He's been putting up some feeble resistance to that. But what they're doing is they're they're punishing London for voting in a Labour mayor. I mean, mm-hmm. that's I'm a, I don't like a Labour Party, no friends of the Labour Party. But the Tories are making it very, very difficult for transport for London because Londoners have voted in a Labour mayor. And that yeah, totally yeah. underfunded, cutting all the subsidies from the uh, transport for London. The only the only uh, major network in Europe, probably in the West, in the Western world, that doesn't receive any subsidy from government is uh, transport for London. And you can imagine this is a publicly owned body, doesn't receive any subsidy. And the private railway companies do. How does that work? <laughs> mm. no, it's, it's absurd, isn't it? I mean, it's, you couldn't make it. It'll be socialism for the rich, isn't it, really? Yeah. Socialism for the for the corporate elites. But just wanted to just um, turn the conversation, uh, Steve. And by the way, if anybody's got any comments or questions that they want to put to Steve towards the end of the, uh, the programme, we'll have another sort of 10 or 15 minutes uh, chat. Uh, and then we'll uh, ask Sean if she could then uh, give us a benefit of uh, what to, viewers have, have, have got to say and any, any comments and questions that they want to put to, to you, Steve. But just a, a more just kind of general point, really, about where trade unionism is, is going uh, in this country. I mean, obviously, we've got the RMT, and that's been a very effective and strong trade union. Uh, and the evidence of that is, you know, the, the, the uh, way in which you know, members have, have, have secured a, you know, reasonable return for uh, their uh, their labors but um trade union membership has, has has fallen substantially from the heyday when i first got involved and initially joined the labor party and i was a member of the union of construction and allied trades and technicians back in uh, the mid 1970s but but membership has, has admitted although i think there's been a little bit of a rally uh, in membership been a little bit of an increase in in trade union uh, membership uh more recently but Still, the numbers compared to where they were in the 1970s are around about half. How do we, do you think, in your opinion, go about, uh, you know, encouraging people to, you know, to come together, to join a union and to basically get organised? It was achieved in the past, wasn't it, when you think of the challenges that were confronted by the pioneers of the labour movement when they risked uh, being transported to a colony in Australia for the uh, uh, the crime of uh, swearing an illegal oath. Uh, it's just that what you know, illegal oath in support of the, of the trade union, the agricultural labourers union that they told puddle martyrs, for example, were transported uh, to Australia for doing. Uh, so the challenges are great today, certainly, but I don't think they're as uh, as substantial as as the as those that were faced by those pioneers. What do we do to um, inspire people to, you know, to come together, to get involved, to join a trade union, to get organised? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to go back to those principles of a tall puddle martyrs. It's not about the union as a an organisation. It's about the workers. And I think far too many unions, including my own at the minute, the RMT, the leadership has been captured by bureaucrats and careerists. It's the membership of the RMT who have kept it militant, kept the tradition of Bob Grove. The leadership are, are bureaucrats and careerists. And I think that's the same of the many, many of the trade unions, certainly the TUC. And I think people see that uh, because when you start putting 
the organization and the bureaucracy and the benefit of the organization and the bureaucracy before the benefit of the members, then uh, you're on the wrong road. And the members see it, they, they click on and they, they say, well, that's not something I want to be part of. And I think that um, that's, that's more and more a trend. I think that the anti-union laws have completely shackled the trade unions of this country. And um, it, it suddenly dawned on me, um, the fact that we haven't broke the anti-trade union laws is that far too many trade union general secretaries, assistant general secretaries, officers, bureaucrats uh, would lose their, their salaries and their perks. That's the, that's the reason we haven't broken the anti-trade union laws. We're mm. fighting with one hand behind our back because of that. And, you know, it, to me, the union's like a church, really. It, you could take away the building of the church. You could take away Unity House. But the congregation are actually the church. The membership are actually the union. And we've got to get back to thinking like that because if they bring in minimum service services for the RMT, for the trains, when there's a strike, forcing our members to scab with the leadership already, scabbing, so I don't think it's a big jump. But the reality is we won't be able to win disputes and um, we, we, we will be losing disputes hand over fist. And we're not, unfortunately, going to get, in my view, even in the RMT, a leadership that are going to turn around and say, sod you, right? do, mm. do, do, do your worst. Because they will come up with the same tired old tropes. Uh, we're, we're protecting the members' money. We're looking at the long term. We're looking at the long view. What they're actually looking at is their own bank balances and their own jobs and their own pensions. And I think uh, unless we have a revolution in the trade union movement and get back to actually fighting for the members, having, having officers that are on around the same uh, money as their members and not some sort of caste that has been taken up and uh, given privileges and you know, in a lot of instances become part of the middle class. I think that uh, the trade union is going to continue to shrink. I think workers will fight back, whether that's in an unofficial way, whether they form other unions um, will be will be left to be seen. Maybe there'll be spates of unofficial actions within existing trade unions. I'm not ruling any of them out. But the fact of the matter is that the trade union movement, even my organisation, the RMP, has become bureaucratised with careerists who are afraid we really fight for members. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you that you say that, and certainly, um, I've seen it in Parliament. The members of Labour members of Parliament um, are self-serving. I mean, a lot of them I knew that already, but what brought it home to me, uh, the stark reality of that was was obviously you know the whole phony anti-Semitism smear campaign and the way in which people like myself, Jackie Walker. Tony Greenstein, uh, black rights campaigners like Mark Wadsworth, all of whom were socialists, all of whom were anti-Zionists, uh, uh, were were, uh, were targeted, and uh, nobody lifted a finger for them. Uh, you know, including the the so-called left-wing MP. So I absolutely see that, but but we mustn't despair. And I wonder what we can do to um, you know to cut through that. I mean, there has been the emergence of uh, some new trade unions, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on. You know, like the union, like the uh, independent workers of uh, Great Britain, um, and I think there's one or two other smaller unions which which have been organising uh, migrant uh, workers and uh, and casual workers and so on, and, and you know having some success. I think. I mean, do you think that's uh, the future? I mean, uh, you know, new new unions emerging like that on the on the fringes, as it were, and then gaining traction and picking up members. Well, I, I hope it is. I hope it is. I hope we do move away from the bureaucratic, career-structured unions that we're in at, at, at the minute because I don't think they're effective. It's like um, 
it's like taking a dump truck and trying to race in a Formula One race. It's just not built for purpose. We can't win. All we can do is, um, you know, put up a, a bit of a show and end up with some rotten compromise. We can't win with the vehicle we're in. We have to have a different vehicle. So I hope that non-bureaucratic structures come up, fighting structures, you know, whether they're unions or, or we call them something else, I don't know, workers' organisations of some sort uh, that, that spring up to defend workers. Because, look, the, the reality is this. If the boss imposes a wage freeze tomorrow or a boss sacks a load of workers tomorrow, the law doesn't allow us to fight back. We've got to go through a ballot and process and all the rest of it. By the time we've done that, it's finished. Job's yeah, done. Course, yeah. Just yeah. people used to work there. Uh, a month ago. We need organisations that can respond on the spot, that can take workers out on the spot, that can take workers out when we go on the offensive for, for wages or conditions or whatever. We need organisations that just go like that and we're off. And mm. we're not getting that at the minute. We need to rethink what trade unions are for, if they're for the advancement of the working class, if they're for a socialist form of society, we've got to stop obeying, by the, obeying the enemy's rules and playing the enemy's game. Because the enemy has got us in a corner, and they're going yeah. to keep us. We keep playing. You know your point, uh, Steve, about uh, about bureaucrats. I wonder whether, you know, to some extent, that's always to a lesser or greater extent always been the case. I'm thinking of speaking to some of the uh, inspirational uh, shop stewards who were involved in the Lucas uh, Shop Stewards Combine, who in 1976, I'm sure you're familiar with it, came forward with a report. This was after some cuts. In, um, in defense expenditure or weapons expenditure, and they, they were predominantly a weapons manufacturing company, and the shop stewards combine, and there was a lot more unions then as well, and I want to come on to that point in a minute if I can. But I mean, they came to together uh, and come forward with some fantastic uh, pr proposals to put their technical expertise to creating, building socially useful products. I think they came up with about 150 uh, alternative socially useful products. In 1976, this was, of course, things like solar panels, uh, wind turbines, um, hybrid vehicles, and, and so on. But they did that in the, in the teeth of opposition from the trade union bureaucrats of the day. This was done by the shop stewards at, at, that, at that grassroots shop floor level, as it were. So I'm, I'm wondering whether, you know, there's always been a problem with, with uh, with bureaucrats, but has it, well, one, has there always been a problem with bureaucrats? And do you think it's been exacerbated by the merger of trade unions? Do you think these big unions have kind of lost touch with them? Because I said, I used to be a member of the Construction Workers Union. Well, now UCAT is, is now part of, of Unite. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, do you think by losing that, that, that connection with the industry directly, that, that, that that's had a you know a detrimental effect or not? Well, I, I, I believe in industrial trade unionisms and actually I believe in um, general trade unionism as well because if you look at James Conley's idea, the IWW's idea of one big union, yeah. that would be a fantastic idea. But the idea of that was that uh, workers would, would have solidarity action when other workers were taking strikes. So yes. if you were in the industry, then you would, you would cross-support each other. What we've got at the minute in monoliths like Unite is people aren't allowed to support each other because the bureaucracy and the leadership obey, obey the anti-trade union laws. So if mm -hmm. the trains come out, the buses can't come out in sympathy. It would make absolute sense that they did because they're all in the transport industry. And yeah, there have always been uh, bureaucrats. There have always been people who have wanted to make a career in trade unionism. 
But the, the, the reality is this, unless your trade unionism is a revolutionary trade unionism, unless you see trade unionism as a means to an end, they bring about socialism, then you're always going to have a bureaucracy and you always did have a bureaucracy. At times, the bureaucracy's hold is, is tighter than others. But what we need is a revolutionary movement in the trade union, um, working within trade unions, I think, uh, at this point in time, working within and without, to actually build up a shop stewards uh, movement, not just to fight for economic ends, but they fight for political ends as well. They have mm -hmm. political strikes. I would love, for example, right, for workers like tube workers and rail workers, they have uh, go on strike for NHS workers. I'd love it, right? I, I, I know that their nurses have been browbeaten, they've been uh, blackmailed, emotionally blackmailed by saying, well, you go on strike, people are going to die. You know, in a way, there is an argument, right? And the argument is, well, we should go on strike for them. We should go on strike for them to allow them to continue those essential services. Of course, if we did that, we'd be breaching anti-trade union laws. But the reality is, so be it. Let's breach anti-trade. Yeah. Let's, let's see where it goes. Because I'm fed up with bureaucrats sitting there in their ivory yeah. tower in their bloody chauffeur-driven cars, uh, yeah. their, their subsidized mortgages, telling us that we can't fight because we're going to endanger their lifestyle. It's not on. No. Well, I can't remember, you know, so-called secondary uh, action uh, was a feature of trade unionism when I got involved. And I know it was an unsuccessful dispute, and that was really down to the Labour governments of the day, and the Grunwick one was, but there were lots of actions like that, but the Grunwick was uh, was quite yeah. an iconic one, and uh, organised by... Um, Asian women workers. It was it was an it was it was a very inspirational um, uh, moment, uh, and I remember seeing you know miners, big burly miners, come in and you know standing on the picket line and, and supporting those, and that was a real you know working class solidarity. Of course, this is something that you know that Thatcher wanted to to smash, and that was obviously what the anti trade union laws were were all about. But um, just I mean on that point, Steve, that you're making there about. You know, we need to really defy those um, those uh, uh, anti-trade union laws if we are going to have any chance of success. Because if we just comply, we're, we're buggered, in my opinion. I totally agree with you on that. But I just wonder, you know, look, the, many trade unions. I mean, I know the RMT has not is not affiliated to the to the Labour Party uh, now, um, but many still are. And I just think that, including the RMT, really. Um, Ought to be as well as, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but as well as obviously organising and, and, and raising political consciousness of their own members, and they're not doing enough of that. Although I think the RMT ain't too bad at that. And well, certainly when I was um, in the House of uh, Parliament, I was in the RMT group. I mean, they did did quite a lot of stuff in that regard. I'm assuming some of that work is, is still going on. But but I think the trade unions, and if we're going to succeed as a as a movement, as a you know, in terms of you know raising the 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 sort of you know the standard of living and the uh, and the you know the capacity of the the working class in this country the the trade uh, trade has got you know still even with the diminished membership still got huge resources I think ought to be doing you know working in in the community um and to some extent United's doing a bit of that with you know United we United community but but just in terms of organizing people. It, or putting money into anyway, you know, community organising, so that you know we're raising that political consciousness. Because I mean, there's a, it's like there's a there's a sleeping giant out there, isn't there? Because at the end of the day, and we know that most people are, you know, their sort of instinct is to, I think, you know, support a socialist alternative. 
it's how we can actually awaken that giant because you know when we stand together we're strong aren't we um it's the old labor movement maxim isn't it you know united we stand divided we fall and the establishment the the, the old vestiges of the british empire i've always said you know were successful the british empire was successful because it was past masters that divide and rule and that's you know what what they're essentially doing now so what's your thoughts on that about you know Unions ought to be doing more. How can we make sure they, they do do more in terms of raising political consciousness of their own members? But what about that going that extra mile, you know, raising political consciousness of the of the of the wider, if you like, working class and maybe supporting funding? And I wonder why the trade unions haven't done this years ago anyway, an alternative left-wing newspaper, socialist newspaper. Why did the trade unions, for example, allow the Daily Herald to go? to the uh, you know uh, into the knackers yard as it were you know we lost the daily herald a great and it was circulation i think at the time it folded it was well over two million it's just that the there was a strike of the corporate sector they they wouldn't put their advertiser with it and so they they couldn't sustain it but the trade unions just let that happen is well, there a scope do you think for the trade unions to be doing some of the things i've just suggested there steve well, because the, the trade unions let that happen because the trade union bureaucrats didn't want a, an alternative left-wing political voice. They didn't want a, a socialist voice. They, they were quite happy to... Because, look, in its, in its basic form, trade unions, trade unions fit quite happily into the capitalist system. The capitalist system would rather negotiate with a few bureaucrats than a field full of uh, workers. Mm. Quite simple, you know. And in that way, trade unions form the function of the work of, of the capitalist class. They perform that function unless they're revolutionary, unless they're socialist in nature. Uh, and that's a reality, and it's a harsh reality that people have to learn because trade unions will sometimes lower the expectations of workers, uh, tell them that they can't go on strike, tell them it's not feasible to win. And workers listen to them because they're not the bosses who are supposed to be their friends. Yes, what we have to do, I think, is uh, educate the unorganized sections of, of workers. We have to start the trade unions. By the way, some of the views in trade unions are absolutely appalling. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Outside a level of activists, you know, um, mm. we, we we deliberately don't, we neglect political education. The political education in the RMT is shocking. I mean, to be quite honest, bringing people around the House of Commons, um, although there was a few good MPs like yourself, um, I don't think really that's politics. I think politics is no. in the class struggle. Uh, politics is, is about overthrowing the House of Parliament and, and getting industrial militants in the workplaces is what trade unions should do. Educating people on the nature of our movement, on the nature of socialism, on the history of our movement, the history of socialism. That's what we yeah. should be up. We have to organise those huge waves of workers out there uh, who are unorganised at the minute, and we've got to work in the communities because yeah. this government would much rather see people lapse into criminality in working-class communities than have organised workers in uh, working class communities fighting back for their community and for do, do their. Think, do you think there's a chance, Steve, that you know we can persuade that, given the structures of trade unions, to actually start to do some of this work? No, as we I say, don't... we know how important it is, but how do we get the trade unions, given the bureaucracy and so on? I mean, yeah. is it is it through grassroots uh, demanding that uh, approach? You know, through through branch meetings and things like that, and and up to union conferences as it were i mean how do we get from where we are now to getting the unions to use their muscle to use their resources in an effective way to invest if you like investing in the future by in my opinion anyway raising political consciousness of the wider working class that's going to be in that's going to benefit 
the, the trade unions in terms of in terms of membership, and it's certainly going to benefit uh, you know the wider community because we're an incredibly wealthy country, the fifth biggest economy in the world. And yeah, we've got I keep, as I keep going on about, and I've said it on this program millions of times. 14 million people living in poverty. What a bloody disgrace that is. Um, but are you, before just before perhaps bring uh, Sean in to get a reaction of our viewers this evening, Steve, are you optimistic, hopeful about the future, about whether we can get trade unions doing some of that stuff? I remember sharing platforms with you and there was loads of hope when, you know, Jeremy Colbin was in his pomp and we thought, at least as I thought anyway, that, you know, there was a real prospect of us making significant progress but you know that was dashed as we as we know are you are you optimistic now or, or pessimistic about the future chris i think the first thing that we have to do is recognize where we are you know and we've been smashed we've been atomized real socialists real left-wingers have been atomized in london i can count real socialists real revolutionaries on a probably 20 20 that i know up and down the country maybe 100 and that's where we are um we're I, I don't want to get in the organizations with people that ultimately are going to stab you in the back and sell you out for mm. their own sect. Um, they're not working for the for the working class. And I think most trade union bureaucrats, most trade union officers, most senior reps in trade unions are are in it for what they can get out of it, unfortunately. And that includes my own union at the minute. Mm. So I think that the what 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 we have to do is set about a task of getting people together, a nucleus together and then go about organizing workplaces and our communities, our workplaces and our communities, and uh, you know, working within trade unions and outside trade unions. We cannot wait until we've captured uh, Unite or the GMB, or because that could be 20 years down the road. It's, we're, we're, yeah. We haven't got that luxury of time. We've no. got a crisis coming towards us now where the staple foods are going to go through the roof, oh, yeah. the fuels are going through the roof, and if, if we don't organize people, what we'll have is riots on the streets mm. and those riots will lead to nowhere except more oppressive. You know, we've got to give them, them a revolutionary focus. We've got to be demanding advances for the working class. And we've got to do that pretty quickly. We've got to do it pretty quickly because the, the alternative is really stark. We'll be living in some dystopian future, you know, where, where, where workers aren't even paid enough to subsist, not even paid enough to mm. eat and rent a house and... Uh, you know, heat that house, but we'll have to queue up at food banks instead. That's the dystopian future that's maybe six months down the road. When it gets to winter this year, there is going to be a hell of a price to pay mm -hmm. if this war still rattling on between uh, Russia yeah. and the Ukraine. Oh. Yeah, it is. I mean, well, look, the raison d'etre of the, uh, the, you know, the resist movement was, was, was precisely to do uh, the sort of things that you've just been talking about there in terms of, you know, raising political consciousness and so on. I mean, and one of those really important points about raising political consciousness is to explain to people why fuel bills are going through the roof, why food prices are going through the roof, why we are potentially facing shortages of both. And it's because of this proxy war in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, it, the way it's being sort of portrayed, it's, you know, this is all, all Putin's fault. But, you know, the reality is that war couldn't and indeed should have been uh, avoided. Yeah. And uh, what we're seeing now is, as I say, a proxy war They, you know, it certainly benefits the military industrial complex. We've just seen, you know, the states, uh, the House over in the states, uh, just agreeing uh, a 40 billion package for Ukraine, much of that will be armaments. But of course, as Julian Assange, yeah. and one of the reasons he's languishing in Belmarsh now, 
he exposed all this. He said, you know, when he was talking about Afghanistan, the idea wasn't, he said, to win in Afghanistan. The idea was to create a forever war to wash out the sort of the, uh, the uh, you know, taxpayer base, as it were, um, in, uh, in the States, as it were, to, to wash that through launder, essentially, that through uh, Afghanistan and back into the military industrial complex. It's incredibly profitable industry yeah. and uh, you know since time immemorial and we you know i remember as a lad hearing about the war profiteers in the first world war well, you know they've always made uh, and they're continuing to do so make huge profits from uh, from war and of course you know there's a lot of money in relation to you know the oil industry and of course and that's often the root of a lot of evil and we know that the the oil industry the gas industry the liquefied natural gas industry in uh, in the states is looking to get into in a bigger way the the european market which currently or did until this war uh, and is still actually re receiving a large proportion around 40 percent of its uh, gas uh, requirements are coming from from russia um they're still doing that but they're laundering it now i mean russia's selling it to you know places like india and then then it's <laughs> it's being sold back uh, as it were after it's been sold one and so it's putting the middleman in and you know that's that's obviously inflating prices but but then because it's laundered they can say oh well you know we're not actually buying uh, you know russian oil and you've got this ridiculous spectacle as well of they now uh, rehabilitated a venezuela they're desperate now for venezuela to <laughs> pick up some of the slack with uh, with their uh, oil experts it's unbelievable you know what 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 uh, you know the sort of contortions that uh, that the neocons will will get into but look let me just uh, ask uh, sean for the last 15 minutes then to uh, get uh, or give us the reaction of uh, and potentially any questions from our audience sean hi chris i hope you can hear me okay yeah i can hear you fine fabulous um i just want to thank people for joining us this evening um lizzie has dropped a message um in the forum to remind people that they should go to the tuc rally in london on saturday um there will be an extinction rebellion trade union block if you want to join them and they're going to be meeting outside broadcasting house on portland street at 11 a.m and there are free coaches from around the country um if you want to attend the meet the rally then you can just go on to www.tuc.org.uk and you'll be able to find where those free coaches are coming from um so the first uh, question we have um or comment uh, was from andy bannon he says all these rail companies need to be nationalized to put people before profit steve do you agree there needs to be a general strike to destroy capitalism Absolutely, 100%. I mean, um, nationalisation, as, as we've said, can mean a lot of things. We don't want the kind of nationalisation we had under British Rail. We want a, a democratically run uh, transport system, run between the unions, the user groups, the commuters, and I suppose locally elected officials. That's what we want. And we want socialism. And uh, if, if uh, we're going to get that, we're going to not just have a, a national strike, but we're going to have to have a national strike with the absolute uh, objective clearly stated that we want to get rid of the capitalist system. Jonathan Cooper asks, how far would you agree that bankrolling the left media is a feasible counter strategy to an establishment media smear campaign? Depends what you mean by the left media. I don't think most of the left media are, are left. 
I think he's talking about the independent left media. Um, we have the Independent Media Association now, um, which is consists of Unity News, of the Canary, um, Squawk Box, those kind of um, independent um, outlets. Well, I don't know enough about them, but I think in principle, I would definitely say that we should be uh, having a, an alternative platform for left-wing ideas. You know, the right have uh, are miles ahead of us on this. They've got their alt, alt media out there. We haven't got one. Uh, we're, we're campaigning that they, they get, you know, crumbs from the trade unions. We need to fund it ourselves. There's got to be money out there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the trade unions do hold a lot of money. They do hold a lot of power and workers money and I, I think really we've got we do have such a strong alternative left media in this country now that I think if they would put some money into uh, into these alternative media um, establishments that have been popping up since the Corbyn era um, then we may have a, a, a bigger voice um, would you agree with that Steve? Yeah, but the idea that Francis O'Grady or whoever's going to be a successor is going to give loads of money to uh, some sort of even Corbynite organisation is just, you know, la la la. And they're not because they don't agree with their policies. They agree with the policies of the Labour Party and the Daily Mirror. That's as far left as they want to go, perhaps the Guardian upon occasion. So I don't think, you know, it would be a wonderful idea if they, the trade unions would put millions of pounds into that, uh, like they do in the, you know, right wing Labour, uh, Labour MPs' pockets. But I, I just don't see it see it as, as it's going to happen. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Sadly, I agree with you. Um, and I think the TUC does need to be overhauled. And I would like to see, personally, I would like to see Francis O'Grady um, removed and somebody a bit more left-wing um, put in her place. Um, but I'll leave that there. <laughs> Um, might be a bit too controversial. Um, Paul McCord says, great to see you on, Steve. Uh, what parties would you think would be best working with and which ones to avoid? Also, what is your view on the independent movement in places such as Liverpool? I don't know about the independent movement in Liverpool, but I will tell you this. The Communist Party of Britain are, are absolute scabs. The Socialist Party are absolute scabs. The Alliance for Workers' Liberty are absolute scabs. So I think that um, what's left, I don't know, maybe the SWP, Resistance, um, some of the smaller communist parties or parties that claim to be communist, maybe maybe around there. But I think, uh, I think as the crisis develops, we're going to have working class activists being formed in struggle. Uh, we don't, we're not going to have people that have come out of the Students' Union. We're going to have people who have been formed in riots in the street or campaigns in their local community and that's the sort of people we want you know uh, that's going to be leading the revolutionary movement not the not the fakes that are in place at the minute and they're just take, making a living like anybody else um yeah that you know that that would be preferable i think to have people who are you know completely involved and immersed in in struggle to be coming forward because those are the people who you know you can rely on they're not going to be in it just for their own career are they um and i totally agree with what you said uh, prior about the you know the trade unions as much as i would 
um, tell people they must be in a trade union. Um, you know, when it comes to the people at the top of the unions, they need to be questioning who they are, why they're there, and what what their um, motives are. Um, you know, like you said, I think some of them or, or a lot of them are in it just for what they can get out of it for themselves. Um, I totally agree with that. I saw that in my own trade union. Um, John Marr would like to ask if the RMT would be interested in funding a new political party that would repeal all Tory TU laws as well as supporting rail nationalisation. Well, Bob Crow uh, had that idea in mind, but we don't have Bob Crow leading the party, uh, leading the union anymore. What we have are people like Mick Lynch, Alex Gordon, who are pretend socialists and pretend communists and cross a picket line and scab every day. So I think that uh, the idea that the RMT in the near term is going to provide any sort of leadership is, uh, you know, fantasy. Hey, do say a bit more about this this picket line that you that you that you refuse to cross. Yeah. I don't think we I don't think we got into the detail of that. Yeah. So we've got a guy called Pedrick Mihas. He's an Albanian worker who's been sacked by the RMT for putting on a picket line when he was uh, made compulsory redundant. He put on a picket line, and they sacked him. And he's been standing out there now for ninety odd days outside Unity House. And you can Google his name: P E T R I T. M-I-H-A-J, me has. And uh, not only have the bureaucracy been crossing his picket line, they've actually been taking his picket signs, tearing them up, pushing people around, harassing them, um, making all sorts of, uh, you know, really, really bully boy tactics. And this is this is happening in my union. It's breaking my heart. Chris, I had to um, reach an accommodation with my union where I had to leave because I wasn't going to cross a picket line. And this, this situation, this is the, the, the seen as the leading union in the country, and it's a disgrace. And the current leadership of my union are an absolute disgrace. The membership are fantastic. The membership are fighters. They're working class fighters. They're working class heroes. But the leadership of the union have been crossing a picket line for over 90 days now. Do we know why he was, how, why he was sacked? Yes, he was made compulsory redundant and he right. put on a picket and they gave him his job back. And three days later, he was disciplined again for actually putting on the picket and sacked again. So they they, they realised that they'd made him compulsory redundant the wrong way, gave him his job back and then they sacked him uh, for actually picketing and they got sacked in the first place. And this is the worst part. This is the part that I can't believe. They're now after him for the redundancy money. They want him to pay the redundancy money back because they said he's not redundant. He's sacked. And I, how, how do you justify that? You can't. No. No, it's it's completely immoral. Um, and I, I'm surprised people are not out there with him um, standing in well, solidarity. You, you know, you know what? I think when I, I can understand now how Stalinism takes place, because people will say it's it's not the right time. We're going into this. We're going into that. This has been there for ninety days. They had an opportunity to resolve this. And now they're going to say, well, we can't have this on the eve of a national dispute. They can't be there, blah, blah, blah. They've actually been going out there, pushing him around, pulling his posters off and taking his placards off and tearing them up. And you can see all this. It's all online. It's all on video. It's all on body cam. And, you know, we've got Labour Party councillors, part of this as well. Labour Party councillors down there doing that. The, the, um, Alex Gordon, 
Eddie Dempsey, another big left, so-called left Eddie Dempsey, walking across the picket line. John Leach from the AWL walking across the picket line. It's absolutely shocking. And this is why I have to say to people, we have a Socialist Party members walking across the picket line. So we have, and, and they haven't done that without the authorization of their party. There's no way that they've done that without the say-so from the Tafts and the uh, Hannah, whatever her name is. They've, they've made a decision that they're going to scab on a picket. And I think it's absolutely disgraceful. That's why part, most of the reason I resigned my position in the RMT, I took LLF severance because it was playing on my nerves. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Well, thanks yeah. for that uh, clarification, uh, uh, Steve. I, I'm sure uh, that's uh, illuminated, uh, uh, you know, the, the issue a lot more for, for people who will perhaps not have known what, what the background to, to that was. Hello, everybody. Just a quick note to you all to apologise for the break in our broadcast this evening. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, we were unable to bring you the last two minutes of the show. So we do apologise and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.